The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3. If you're using the Bible underneath your chair, it's on page 922. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12 through verse 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Delta, I'd like to uh, invite up our guest preacher this morning, Matt uh, Hess. Matt, come on up. Matt is from uh, the St. Louis area, Wentzville. Many of you recognize this face. He was uh, with us in October, uh, helped us kick off, kick off the Great Commission offering. Uh, a little bit about uh, Matt uh, Matt and his family were in Toronto for about uh, over, over 10 years, uh, doing some church planning up there and pastoring, and they are now in St. Louis. Matt is the Send City Missionary, uh, so what he does, he leads church planting in the St. Louis area. Um, I know that's near and dear to uh, us as a church, church planting, uh, the gospel going forward, and I know St. Louis is, many, is near, near and dear to many of you. Um, with Matt, we have his wife, Erica, and children, Isaac, Gavin, Sienna, Cadence. I want to thank you all for making the trip this morning. Matt, thanks for being here. Let me pray for your brother, yeah. and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, thank you for Matt and his family. Thank you for the desire he has to preach your word. Thank you for his service to us this morning. I pray that you would empower him for service this morning. You would help him to preach boldly. And we, as hearers of your word preached, I pray that you would change our hearts to make us more like Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amen. brother. <clears throat> well, what a privilege it is to uh, be back with you, Delta Church. Uh, as Brian said, we, we came here back in October of last year. And uh, being brand new to the region, we've been trying to find a church. And one of our kids said, why don't we just go to Delta Church? I love that church. 
And I said, I love that church too, but it would be a little too far of a drive. And so we genuinely do love this church. I, I love your elders and Brian and Brady and Jonathan and, and of course, Charles, I work closely with at the Sin Network. Uh, it, it's so refreshing when we are with you guys to, to see the health of Delta Church. And too often, when we talk about church health in the West, we fixate on buildings and, and size and attendance and success that oftentimes the world uses to measure success. But what we use to measure success is healthy plurality of elders. You guys have that. The word of God, first and foremost, in central. You guys have that. Christ-centered, theologically sound worship. You guys have that, right? And so it is always good to be with you and to see what God is doing in your midst. Well, I do want to invite you, if you haven't already made your way there, to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 21 today. And uh, I understand you guys have been walking through Philippians, but just as a bit of a historical background, the Apostle Paul is the author uh, of this letter, and he is writing to the beloved recipients of the church at Philippi. He loves these people. It was at Philippi that the apostle visited on his second missionary journey. It is where Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his family came to know Jesus. And now some few years later, the church is well established. And Paul's writing this epistle to acknowledge a gift of money from the church at Philippi brought to the apostle by Epaphroditus, one of its members. And in Paul, in chapter 3, he kind of lays out for us, if you will, his spiritual uh, biography. He tells us about his past life in verses 1 through 11. In verses 12 through 16, he talks about his present life. He's writing from a prison cell. And in his future life, in verses 17 through 21. And today, we are going to focus on the life he was living at the time he writes this letter and his emphasis is on spiritual growth. The Bible addresses spiritual growth often. It's not something that we should think about doing. It's rather expected from God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I am encouraged as I work with church planners today. I am encouraged as I work with churches and church leaders. There, there are a lot of positive things taking place in the church today that I uh, see and have witnessed. There, there seems to be a return of what we just now did, which was corporately pray together. That, that makes me so joyful. Christ says my house will be called a house of what, church? Prayer. It's important that we pray together. I'm encouraged that, that churches seem to be returning back to corporate prayer. 
I'm encouraged to see that churches seem to be emphasizing once again evangelism. The, the fact of the matter is no one is saved by osmosis. God's will is to use the saints to declare his glories and to see people born again. I'm encouraged by leadership development and leadership pipelines and all of those things. However, if I'm being totally transparent this morning, there, there are also some disturbing trends in the church in North America. I, I engage uh, quite often with, with professing believers who, who seem to believe that, that sound doctrine and theology are kind of optional things, that they don't have to be front and center in a church. There are others who are allowing the culture to shape their views on, on sexuality, allowing the culture to shape their views on, on the home and on relationships instead of the church shaping the views of the culture. It, it's hard for me to believe this, um, but I have had the privilege to minister the gospel for over 20 years now. And if somebody was to, to sit me down and say, Put your finger on, on one problem. What, what is the one issue that, that continually plagues the bride of Christ? I would be directed back to this issue, spiritual immaturity. That is, for many Christians, spiritual growth is not high on our personal busy agendas. And I would suggest that, in fact, many professing believers have bought into the myth that, that growing spiritually is a matter of, of personal choice, that when it comes to discipleship, that when it comes to growing deeper in our faith, it's merely optional. However, our text today, Paul just blows that whole idea out of the water. He says, this is not a option for you if you have placed your faith in Christ. Spiritual growth should be a reality in our lives. One of our problems, our biggest problems in the church here in the West is that we believe when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ that it is there only to get us to heaven. That once we repent of our sins and place our trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior, that our, our ticket to heaven is punched and we can kind of live however we want and we can kind of take or leave the church and all that she provides and expects us to give back. And as a result of these lies from the enemy, there are many, many Christians who remain babes in Christ for all their lives. That is, they never progress spiritually. Why do we face so many challenges in the church? Why are we constantly wrestling with the same issues? I believe that's because oftentimes we are dealing with immature Christ followers. And this morning, I want us to walk through Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. We're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 12 through 16. And as we dig into the word today, we are going to discover five 
keys to spiritual growth. These are practical. They are timely for me, I know, as I've studied and, and poured over them this week. And, and my prayer has been is that, that we will walk away from our time together today being mutually encouraged, Christ being glorified, and us being edified, and that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to put these into practice. We're going to jump right into this today. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. First, in order for us to grow spiritually this morning, we must be honest with ourselves. See, we have to take a step back and we have to honestly assess where we are spiritually. Paul is painting a picture of an athlete and he is running a race, but he is not just running the race. He, he is running the race for one purpose, to win. He is running the race for a prize. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He says, I haven't obtained it. I haven't grasped the prize yet. What's he saying? He's saying, I haven't arrived spiritually. L listen, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, right? He, he was directed and led by God, perhaps the most committed Christian to ever walk the face of the planet. And here he is saying, I'm not where I ought to be. Here he is saying, I haven't arrived spiritually. I'm not there yet. How in the world, if Paul is saying that, could any of us in this room within the sound of my voice believe that we have arrived spiritually? We have to take a step back in order to grow spiritually. We have to say, where am I in my spiritual walk with God? Have you ever met an individual who professes Christ? And man, they just are prideful. They are the individual that when you're in a simple Bible study, they want to tell you about how they know this in the Hebrew. They, they know this in the Greek, and, and they know this in the Aramaic. And they're not doing it because they love the Word of God, and they want others to experience the truth of the Word of God, but they're doing it in a prideful way to boast and to have ego and to say, I know more than anybody else knows in this room. They're saying, I have spiritually arrived. You know what's so ironic about those times? Types of people they think they're so spiritually mature and yet their actions and their words demonstrate their spiritual immaturity Paul is saying I've done a lot but I'm not where I ought to be the Bible is very clear sinless perfection this side of heaven is impossible there are those who believe that, that you can obtain a, a sinless perfection while you're in this world. Uh, we believe, 
And I suggest that the Bible teaches that glorification only happens before Christ in the presence of God in heaven. That is, we will always fight and battle and struggle with sin. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But here's the really good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see what First John is saying there. We don't need to try to put on airs and pretend that we have spiritually arrived because God knows better, doesn't he? We've got to be honest with ourselves. So before we move on today, let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied with where you are spiritually? Are you content with your spiritual life? You know, often as we take a look at our spiritual lives, we tend to err in two ways. First, we can be too hard on ourselves. Man, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And we beat ourselves up. We punish ourselves really harshly. The second way is we pretend that we are more spiritually mature than we truly are. Paul was always looking to grow spiritually. He says, but I press on. I keep going. He was aware that he had not arrived, but he was willing to give maximum effort in order to grow spiritually. Next, he says, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus Paul wanted his spiritual life to be consistent with Christ's ultimate purpose in saving him. And so you say, well, Matt, what is Christ's ultimate purpose in saving us? What is Paul talking about here? Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become formed to the image of his son so that he would be the first born among many brethren. Why did God save you? If you are here today and you've repented of your sins, I love what Brian said, it is a work of God and the Holy Spirit regenerating what was once dead and making it alive. You did nothing to get to where you are today. God saved you. The Spirit drew you to the Father. And why did he do that? To bring himself glory and to bring himself honor and so that you and I may bear eternal fruit for his glory. We've got to take a step back today. The first key to growing spiritually is you have to be honest with yourself of where you are today. My mom, um, several years ago, she, she was, there was a couple things I could always count on as a little boy. I would wake up in the morning and I would walk out to the kitchen and I would always see my mama drinking a cup of coffee and reading her Bible. And I, I was brought up in the church. It was not a, not a gospel-centered church, but it, but it was a church that preached the Bible. It was a heretical movement, the Word of Faith movement. My, my mom since has learned that that was error and all those things. But she and my father divorced when I was 16. And she kind of went through a tumultuous journey where she wasn't really walking with the Lord for several years and wasn't in the church like she should have been. But man, praise God, several years back, like five, six years ago, my mom got convicted and she connected and committed 
to a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church that is very similar to Delta Church. And she loves the Lord. She's serving the Lord. She, she has a ministry. She called me two weeks ago, and she said, Matt, I, I wanted you and Erica to know this news first, but I am going to be a part of a church plant core team, and our church is going to send out a, a, a church plant, and we're going to be starting a church. I just rejoiced because my mom, at some point in time, took a step back and said, this ain't cutting it. I'm professing Christ as my Lord and Savior, but my life is not looking what 1 John says my life should look like. And I share that story with you about my mama because I want to encourage you today. We serve a God who is infinitely good and gracious and kind. And as you observe your life and you say, I am not spiritually where I ought to be today, you have a choice to make. You can stay where you are. You can allow the enemy to ravage your life. Or you can repent. You can cast yourselves once again onto the mercies of Christ. And you can live the life that God has called you to live. The first key to genuine spiritual growth is to be honest with yourself on where you are spiritually. The second key is this. Discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. This past week, my family and I, we went up to Toronto, Canada, where we were for over 10 years, planting churches and pastoring, and we just got to see people and spend time with people that we loved so much, and and, and I was one day in a conversation with a close brother of mine, and, and we began to talk about this issue. I am convinced, I am totally convinced that so much of life comes down to this one issue, discipline. That we must daily discipline ourselves to live a life for the glory of God. Think about it. If you want to get healthy, you need discipline to eat right and to exercise on a regular basis. If you have a talent, you play a musical instrument, or you're into a hobby or a sport, what do you have to do? You have to discipline yourself to practice daily in order to get better. You want to save money for a home. You want to save money for a car or something else. You want to be a blessing to somebody else. What do you have to do? You and I have to discipline ourselves with what we do or don't do with the resources God has blessed us. Guess what, church? Listen to me. If you want to grow spiritually, you and I have to discipline ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves if we want to grow spiritually. Too often we get so wrapped up in in our emotions and in our feelings, and we only do the things that we desire to do, or we only do the spiritual things that we know we ought to do when we feel like doing them. But what Paul is saying is that we have to discipline ourselves. Think about oftentimes the mentality that, that the church has in North America. I'll go to church when it's convenient. I'll read my Bible if it's 
convenient. I'll, I'll take uh, time to get on my knees before God in prayer if it's convenient. I'll, I'll live my life on mission if it's convenient. I'll, I'll tithe regularly to the local church if it's convenient. But if we take this approach to our spiritual life, we will never mature fully in Christ. You know, much of life is doing things that don't bring a ton of excitement and don't bring a ton of zeal. We're teaching our children this right now. That the key to growing spiritually is doing the things Christ has commanded because he's our king and we're his subjects. And if we look at it from a broader view, from a 30,000-foot view, if he is sovereign and he is king and he reigns, that what he tells us to do, we simply do it. Now, here's the great part. He doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength and in our own might and in our own power. He gifts us. He's given to us the helper, the Holy Spirit. But again, Paul wants to really reiterate In verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Paul is saying, I'm not there yet, but I want you to see what he says next. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Two areas that I believe we have to discipline ourselves in that Paul mentions to us right here in this verse. The first place we need to discipline ourselves is we need discipline to stay focused on the main thing. We need discipline to stay focused on the main thing. What is the one thing? What is the main thing that Paul is referencing? The race, the Christian race, living for Jesus with total and full abandonment. Whatever he calls us to do, we do it. Beloved, can I tell you today that there are many Christians who are not focusing on Christ and the church and the gospel. They are not focusing on the main thing. Rather, they are focusing on many things. The enemy has distracted the bride of Christ from, from, from focusing our gaze onto the glory of Christ and the cross. And now we are concerned with all these other issues that oftentimes are just the enemy's ploy to distract us from living a life that glorifies Christ. Clothes are great to clothe us. But when we become obsessed with clothes, they become the many things. Cars are great to get us from point A to point B. But when we become obsessed with having a nice car, the nicest car in in town, then it becomes not just a, a tool to get us from point A to point B, but it becomes one of the many things. And you can do this over and over again. With material possessions, we focus on the many things, and we will not reach our full potential in Christ. We need discipline to stay focused on the main thing. There's personal lives. In our personal lives, we need discipline to stay focused on the main thing. And may I just suggest today that the church needs discipline collectively as the bride of Christ to stay focused on the main thing. We see a lot of churches today that are being distracted and pulled and, and entering into this arena and entering into that arena, and they have forgotten what their purpose is. It is to proclaim the gospel. It is to reach the lost. It is to make disciples of all the nations. It is to send out 
And what is Satan doing? He is distracting the bride of Christ. We must discipline ourselves to stay focused on the main thing. Secondly, we need discipline to live for today. We need discipline to put our feet where we are and grow where we're planted. So often we are focused on, well, what's my future going to look like? Or or what's that going to look like? Or what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? We need discipline to stay focused and live for today. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. Too many Christians today are paralyzed by looking backward. We are obsessed with the good old days. And might I add, we are obsessed with the bad old days. I have a pastor friend who has a phrase that's become so popular in in our home. He says, too often as Christians, we look back on people who have hurt us. We look back on broken moments and we nurse and rehearse those moments over and over and over again. We think on them. And instead of leaving them at the feet of Christ, we play them over and over and over again in our minds. Old wounds over and over. Paul says, forget your successes. Paul says, forget your failures and reach forward to what lies ahead. We need focus. We need discipline to focus on today. In 2017, I was in India preaching a pastor's conference, and I'll never forget it. I was in a hotel room. We had an incredible day the day before. And I'm sitting there with two of my mentors, and we're praying, the three of us. And one of my mentors prayed this, and I'll never forget it. He said, God, we praise you and we thank you for what happened yesterday. God, we thank you for how your spirit fell on us yesterday. God, we thank you for how you took your word and and imparted into our hearts yesterday. But God, yesterday's manna won't do for today. We need fresh manna today. The Israelites learned that, didn't they? Friends, too often we look back on moments of glory. Too often we look back on moments of hurt. What is Paul saying? Paul says, don't look back when you're running the race. If you're running a race and you look back... What what happens? You have more potential and more opportunities to trip, to stumble, to fall. You have to keep your head forward. We have to have discipline to live for today. What are you focused on this morning? Are you focused on building the kingdom of God in Springfield, in your home, in this church, in your neighborhood? Or are you focused on many things? Focus on the main thing. You must be honest with yourself today to grow spiritually. You and I must discipline ourselves to grow spiritually. Thirdly, we must push ourselves to grow spiritually. Philippians 3, 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase. I press on toward the goal. People are fighting. I press on. People don't like what I'm preaching. I press on. People, my coworkers, are are, are hating on me because I stand for Jesus. I press on. I have a wayward child that no longer wants to be with me or wants anything to do with me because they say I wounded them by raising them up in the church. I press on. Paul says, I press on toward the goal. Warren Wiersbe says, a man does not become a winning athlete by listening to lectures by watching movies, by reading books, or by partying throughout the night. He becomes a winning athlete by training hard. 
by getting into the game and by having a passion to win for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. This carries the idea of of continually bearing down, continually giving maximum effort to build the kingdom of God. The Greeks used this word to describe a hunter who was eagerly pursuing his prey. Think about that, if you will, for a moment. A hunter is in the woods stalking his or her prey. They're tired. Maybe they're cold. It's raining. They're wet. But their family is at home. They, they need to feed their family. They press on. They don't allow the circumstances. They don't allow the weather to deter them. No, why? Because a child's mouth needs to be full of food. They press on toward the goal. Paul wanted to hear God call his name and stand before Jesus face to face. As every Christian I pray wants to hear someday. Well done. That good and faithful servant. We press on. I fear that we have become a culture that is very uncomfortable with discomfort. I'm going to say that again. I'm afraid we have become a culture that is very uncomfortable with discomfort. That is, in, in a microwavable, fast food, fast-paced society, we don't want things someday. We don't want things even tomorrow. We want them yesterday, and we want them now. We, we think oftentimes that, that everything should be handed to us. This, this mindset of entitlement has now creeped in not only to our homes and to our lives, but oftentimes into our spiritual walk. We, we think that, that somehow we are just going to grow spiritually without pressing on. We're going to grow spiritually because God loves us, and, then, and then someday we're going to know all the ins and outs of the book of Revelation just because. No. We have to press on. We think that we shouldn't have to endure pain. I can't tell you how many Christians I've counseled over the years that will say something like this to me. But, but, but pastor, I love God. How could he do this to me? But, but pastor, I, I walk with Christ. How could he take this loved one from me? Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Earthly prizes do not last. Eternal prizes will. The things that you are giving, and I am giving my time and my talents and my resources and my energy and my heart to in this world, we must be careful because they will not last. The things that will last forever is Christ and his kingdom. The goal is the finish line. The prize is to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. Push yourselves. Push yourselves. Lean into difficult times. Trust in Christ to sustain you like the Apostle Paul did. I was in the Marine Corps and uh, there are many 
things about the Marine Corps that I did not like, right? Any military person will tell you that. But I praise God that he allowed me to be in the Marine Corps because there are still things to this day, even though I did not know Jesus in that time period of my life, there are things to this day that I still carry with me, like a work ethic and doing difficult things when it's not easy. And I learned those values in the Marine Corps. I remember some moments in the Marines, man, where we just thought, like, there's nothing left to give. I have nothing left to give to anybody. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick. My body's broken down. I'm hurting or whatever it may be. But you know what you find? You find, like, there's another gear. There's another level that you haven't tapped into. And your body is far more capable of doing things than you ever thought possible if you would just push. Sayings like, pain is temporary, pride is forever, pain is weakness, leaving the body, right? All of these things that we used to say to, to motivate ourselves. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter, right? You are capable of spiritual growth that even right now you may not even believe in yourself that you can grow. That's why this church is so important. So that you can link arms in discipleship. You can sit under faithful elders preaching the word. You can be in community and unified together under the blood of Christ. And you can spiritually grow, but you must push yourself. We must lean into difficult times and trust in Christ to sustain you. How about it? Anybody going through some difficult times this morning? My mom, the same mom I was just telling you about, obviously, we found out last week she's been diagnosed with stage three cancer. And there's a part of you that says, wow, she's living for Christ now. She's faithfully obeying. She's walking with God. And this comes our way. But I praise God that she has learned and that we have learned that no matter what this world brings, none of it will last because the kingdom of God endures forever. And it's not important that she's got cancer. What's important is that she is in Christ and that when difficult trials like cancer and pain and broken relationships come our way, we don't give up. We press in. We, we push ourselves to grow closer to Christ, to, to lean deeper on Christ, to say, God, not me, but you in and through me. I will endure this. Spiritual growth does not happen just by saying, I give up, I give in. Spiritual growth happens when we push ourselves. Fourthly today, to grow spiritually, we must condition ourselves. Verse 15, therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. The version we read earlier says, uh, let us therefore as many as are perfect, and when you do a deep dive into this, and some scholars believe that there's a good possibility here that Paul is being a bit sarcastic towards his opponents 
who believed that they had somehow obtained spiritual perfection because they thought that they had obeyed the law fully. Paul saying that these false teachers are not positioned perfectly because they are not justified through Christ. They don't believe that. And they are certainly not perfect in their supposed faith practice. And then Paul says this, have this attitude. Have this attitude. This statement literally means to think this way. It means to have a specific, certain approach and way in which you live your life before God. You see, we will never change our actions until we change our minds. In other words, we must constantly be consumed, obsessed, filled with Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit and his anointing power, pursuing the prize, running the race for the glory of God. We must condition our minds. We must condition ourselves. How many of us know today that so much of our spiritual growth begins right up here in our minds? One of the greatest challenges in our world today as Christians is not consuming the wrong things. We have to be very disciplined in what we allow into our minds on, on, on TV and social media and music. We have to be very disciplined with, with what we think on. We have to be disciplined not to think on the wrong things. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We must think on the right things. Paul continues in verse 15. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. You ever notice that many professing Christians do have a different way of thinking? <laughs> there are many Christians who, who say, I, I believe what you believe but I don't think what you think. Now, we can have disagreements on tertiary issues. Eric and I walked into a, a, at a church once, and we walked into a Sunday school class, and uh, there was about 25 adults in there, and they were talking, uh, going through the book of Revelation, and um, one individual said, well, what about the post-millennial view? And the teacher uh, very arrogantly said, well, there are actually some idiots who believe that view. And I thought, wow, well, surely out of this many people, there are some who hold to that view, you know. And, and this guy is making a bold stand, probably distancing himself from people and hearts from others, bringing division and disunity in that room over a tertiary non-gospel issue. I'm not talking about tertiary issues. I'm talking about people who profess Christ and this group who professes Christ, but they think differently on some really serious issues, some really gospel core issues. Why is that? Because often individuals have compromised with the world. We see this as a theme at times in Scripture 
They are pursuing the temporal prizes that the world offers. This, this could be, I'm a Christian, but, but I don't mind lying to, to win at work. I, I'm a Christian, but I don't mind kind of fudging the numbers here to get a deeper tax break. I, I'm a Christian, but, but, but I think it's a woman's right to choose on abortion and life and all of those things. Why is that? They, they are pursuing the temporal prizes that the world offers. Sometimes when we say that, we immediately think about material possessions. But oftentimes, we, we, are, we, are, we are being compromised to get man's approval instead of God's approval. That's what Paul is talking about here. The importance of running the race has not registered with these individuals. The, the fact that they will stand someday before a righteous, just perfect, holy God and give an account for what they've done with their lives has not registered totally with these individuals. Some have even bought into the lies that they've arrived spiritually and as a result they have become complacent and even disobedient to the commands of Christ. This is why Paul warns us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. This is where the war begins. It's where everything starts in our minds. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do you do with such people? What do you do with such people that that blatantly disobey the teachings of Christ and yet they profess Christ? What do we do with such people? Do we hold them accountable that their approach is not in alignment with the word of God? Yes, we, we should do that. Do do we lovingly rebuke them so that they may center themselves in God's will? Yes, we should do that. Do do we invite them into church membership and covenanting that that brings them under authority with biblical elders and one another as we all mutually submit ourselves to Christ and the word of God? Yes, we should do that. But ultimately, look at what Paul says in verse 15. God will reveal that to you also. Paul is saying, look, I can't convince you. God is going to have to do that. (laughs) Early on in my ministry, I shared with with you my testimony last time I was here. Just as a brief refresher, I preached the gospel for six years without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I was licensed, ordained, had a Bible degree. It was in my first year of seminary when I was born again. I won't get into all those details, but, but that was who I was. I, I, I thought like I had arrived somehow. I was spiritually mature. And people have asked me over the years, wow, like how could you preach the Bible and, 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 and not truly be repentant and not truly be born again? This is why what Brian said earlier is, is gospel-centered biblical truth. We don't do anything. God has to make us alive in Christ. God has to show us that we are sinners. God has to make us brokenhearted over our sin and repentant of who we are. Do you have family members today? Do you have friends today that you've shared the gospel with them all the time and they say, well, I'm already a Christian. And you're like, uh, <laughs> you don't look like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. You don't talk like a Christian. Well, but I said this prayer once in camp. Well, I said this prayer once at church. He said, but where's your fruit? The Bible says there is fruit in keeping with the repentance of our sins. Where is your spiritual fruit? We're not saved by works, but there should be some. What do we do with those people? 
I would say every single one of us have family members or friends that profess Christ, and yet we cannot in confidence someday at their funeral say, he loved Christ with all his heart. She loved Christ with all her heart. She served the bride of Christ with all her heart. He served the bride of Christ with all of his heart. We can't do that in confidence, right? What do you do with all those people? Early on in my ministry, after I was born again, I, I was pastoring, and I went to my mentor. I said, Pastor, I got to talk to you about something. He said, let's talk. I said, there are all these people in our church that say they know Jesus, but their lives look nothing like Jesus. They gossip. They lie. They do this. They do that. He says, Matt, the Bible says there will always be wheat and tares amongst each other. And at the end, Christ is going to sort it all out. He said, you will lose your mind trying to figure out who is a Christian and who's not a Christian, and who gets in and who gets out. What is Paul saying? He's saying God's going to have to deal with everybody in the end. God's going to have to convince people. And so what do we do as Christians to grow spiritually? We condition our minds and our attitude to really push into the spiritual life Christ has called us to do. We care about others. We pray for others. We link arms with others. But beloved, listen to me. You will lose your mind if you take responsibility and accountability for every single person that you think is not a Christian. You have to. I hate when people say, well, all we can do is pray. No, that's the most we can do. The most we can do is pray. Prayer works. Prayer is power. We must ask God to intervene. How do we grow spiritually? Be honest with yourself. Discipline yourself, push yourself, condition yourself. Finally today, be consistent. Be consistent. Look at verse 16. However, let's keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. When Paul says, however, here, that could be translated as one more thing. In preaching vernacular, you know, old school preachers used to say, if you haven't heard anything I've said today, please listen to this, right? Paul's saying, one more thing I want to add on to this. Paul's telling us that if we desire to grow spiritually, we must be consistent. We must be consistent. He says, you know what's right. You know who saved you. You know what to do. Now just keep doing it. You know, one of our greatest problems in the church in the West is we get bored. And so we think we got to reinvent the wheel. Well, you know, I know the Bible says this or the Bible says that, but we got to figure out new ways to get people in the church. we got to figure out new ways to reach lost people. We moved to Toronto. Somebody said to us, like, well, how are you going to start a church? I said, well, we're going to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. They said, you can't do that in a place like Toronto. Guess what we did? We knocked on doors and told people about Jesus. It's not a closed country. When that brother said that, I said, is it a closed country and I don't know about it? Are we moving into the Middle East? We can tell people about Jesus. We don't have to try to reinvent the wheel. We just got to do what Christ has called us to do. We know what's right. We get bored with what's right. And we try to convince ourselves that there's other things we need to be doing. And Christ says, just keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. We are too easily enamored with new shiny things. We have a book. We just have to walk in it and obey it. As we run to the finish line this morning, I want to give you three areas that if we would just be consistent in, 
if we would just put these three areas and disciplines into our lives every single day, we would see spiritual growth. The first one, the word of God. The word of God. If we would be consistent in the word of God, we would grow spiritually. Never in the history of humanity have we had more access, deeper access to tools and commentaries and and scholars and the word of God. And yet never in the history of humanity are we more biblically illiterate than we are today. Why is that? Because we are not consistent and disciplined in the word of God. 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect for salvation. Let me ask you a question this morning before we move on. Do you love the word of God? Do you know the word of God? Are you in the word of God? It's a great thing that you come to a church that preaches the gospel, that preaches the cross, that that stays steadfast on the word of God. But in your personal life, are you in the word of God? The second one is this, prayer. Prayer. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Prayer. Now, there are some individuals that I meet and prayer just comes naturally to them. You ever meet these people? It's like they wake up. As soon as they wake up, the first thing out of their mouth is prayer to God. Like, I'm like, wow, that is such a blessing. Can I just be honest with you today? Full total confession, not me. Not me. You know what I've discovered in my life? If I want to have a robust, healthy prayer life, I have to discipline myself and be consistent with it every single day. I have crazy ADD. I got to shut my phone off. It's not good enough to put on airplane mode. I got to put it in another room because I can swipe that airplane mode right off, can't I? We've got to spend time with God in prayer. This past week, like I said, we were up in Toronto and friends that we love greatly, they, they, they couldn't have babies for several years, and, and uh, they, they had Waylon, and he is our Canadian nephew, as we affectionately call him, and we call him Waze, and uh, Mama Erica, I call her Mama Erica, brought a slip and slide up for Waze uh, to Toronto, and we set it up for him, and, and the girls, Sienna and Cadence, my, my, our 12-year-old and 7-year-old, and, and they were running, and what were they doing? What do you do on a slip and slide? You s- slide on your bellies, right, or your knees, right? What did Waze do? Waze is 19 months old. He just did this on it, and he got the slip part down really well. He kept falling over and over again, and he was tripping all over things. He'd get up and laugh, splashing in the water at the end. He didn't care, and the girls kept saying, no, Waze, you got to slide on your belly. Slide this way. Slide that way, and Erica said, just leave him alone. He's having fun. He's just playing. That's what we want him to do. Just enjoy it, right? So many times when it comes to prayer life, Christians get caught up. Well, you got to pray this way. You got to pray that way. Listen, just pray. Just pray. If we would just commit ourselves to consistently pray before the Lord every single day, guess what would happen? You would grow spiritually. I would encourage you explicitly to pray the word of God. And as you pray the word of God, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to align your life with God's life. And he begins to show you things that you need to repent of and sins that you need to confess of and a time of praise as you read the word, a praise, a time of intercession for others. Just do it. Just pray. If you took a poll and you asked 10 different pastors, what's the best way to pray? They'd all say 10 different things. Just pray. 
Just pray to God the Father through Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray, and you will grow spiritually. Thirdly, be consistent in the church. Be consistent in the word of God. Be consistent in your prayer life, and be consistent in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hey, by show of hands, let me ask you a question. Is this world getting more difficult? Raise your hand. Is this world getting more difficult? This world is getting difficult. I mean, everywhere you look, craziness in this world. You think, well, like, depravity, it cannot become more depraved, and then somebody does something else, and you're like, oh, I guess it can be more depraved. We need one another. Listen to what I just said. We need one another. There is no plan B when it comes to the bride of Christ. It is the local church. I love parachurch ministries. I love church planting ministries. I work and serve for, for in my opinion, the greatest one. But, but, but listen, there is no plan B when it comes to the local church. This church, Delta Church, is God's design to make disciples and to impact Springfield and the world for his glory and his honor. There is no plan B when it comes to the church. And when those who profess Christ as Lord do not give themselves totally and completely to the bride of Christ, we are walking in disobedience to God because he has commanded this of us. We were talking last week about all the different things. Your work typically asks you to work for eight to 10 hours a day, depending on what you do for a living. When you look at what your local church asks of you and what the Bible commands, I know 24-7 we are the church, 365, but, but, but serving and volunteering and giving and, and doing the things that it takes to reach the nations, it, it, it pales in comparison to what your work requests of you and what the work asks of you. But you would never call in every single day and say, well, I can't quite do that. I can't do this. Why? You're consistent with your employment. Why? Because you need to pay your bills. How much more should we be consistent with the bride? Christ gave us his life. If we would be consistent with the word of God, with prayer, and our engagement in the local church, using our spiritual gifts, Mutually building up one another, we would see spiritual growth. Eugene Peterson says this, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Man, can I just suggest to you today, when you look at people in your life, we all have them, and you say, wow, they're spiritual giants. I want to be like her when I grow up. I want to be like him when I grow up. If you go to those people and you ask them what they have done to grow spiritually, they'll say things like, well, I read my Bible every day. I've decided to give my life to the local church. I've decided to be consistent in my prayer time each day. And I've decided to be consistent putting one foot in front of the other every single day for the glory of God. Sometimes it's super exciting. Sometimes it's amazing. But other times, it's not but we still obey and we're still consistent because Christ has commanded. Why is it so important that we grow spiritually? As we close this morning, look at verses 17 through 21. 
Brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even as I weep that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who have their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul says the cross is proof of God's love for sinners, and yet there are many heartbreakingly who hate the cross. They despise the cross. Why? Because the cross condemns the world's values. The cross puts to bed all that the world champions and and glorifies. The cross judges mankind and pronounces guilty. Paul says that those who reject Christ and are obsessed with the world and the things of the world will ultimately spend eternity destroyed and separated from Christ. And beloved, today, if you are here, you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ Jesus, that should elicit hallelujahs and praises and shouts of joy and adoration in your hearts, that you are no longer counted in that number. That you have not spiritually arrived, I have not spiritually arrived, but praise God, we're heaven bound. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did on the cross at Calvary. And the blood that he shed for my sins and for your sins has made us right with God. That is the greatest miracle of all time. And yet here Paul is talking about these individuals that oppose the cross, that are enemies of God. Their God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame. They have their minds on earthly things. But then he concludes, and he reminds us why we have to push, why we must strive, why we must continually run this race set before us in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you today that you and I should grow spiritually because Springfield, Illinois is not your home. If you are in Christ Jesus today, I don't care what your zip code is. It may be your residence, but it is not where you ultimately will reside. Ultimately, you may be American citizens, but ultimately our citizenship is in the kingdom of God in heaven. And we must keep doing these things to grow spiritually because what would happen if we look back on our lives someday? We're laying on, pretend with me, you're laying on a deathbed someday. What are you going to think to yourself? Man, I, I wish I just would have made a little bit more money. I wish I just would have, would have been more successful. I wish I would have made more business transactions. I, I wish I would have done this. No. If you're truly in Christ, you're going to say, I wish I would have loved the word of God more. I, I wish I would have shared my faith more. I, I wish I would have made disciples more. See, if we have a proper perspective of whose we are, 
and where we're going, we will want to grow spiritually because we'll be reminded that this is not our eternal home. It's merely our earthly home. How do we grow spiritually? Be honest. Discipline yourselves. Push yourselves. Condition yourselves in the way you think. Be consistent. Some of you are here today and you may believe, well, it's too late for me. I've lived the majority of my life. It's too late. In your mind, you've wasted so much time and there is no need for making a push towards spiritual growth this late in the game. Can I just tell you today, that's a lie. God is not done with you. Others assume that you've failed so miserably in the past that Jesus has set you on a shelf. He has totally forgotten about you. Can I just tell you today, that's a lie. I praise God today that he does not give second chances, but he gives thirds and fourths and fifths. He's a God of infinite grace and love. Then there are young people here today. You falsely assume that spiritual growth is for your parents. Spiritual growth is for someday. Every single Christ-following adult in this room would look to you and say, don't waste what you have right now. Follow Jesus now so that when you become my age, you can look back and have no regrets. Don't settle for the middle road of your spiritual life. Are you hot today for Jesus? Or are you cold today for Christ? My mentor says this, there's nothing in the middle of the road but a yellow stripe and roadkill. You must decide every day to grow spiritually. I pray today that we would take this word and that the spirit would do something that only he can do and that today you would draw a line in the sand and you would say, it's time to grow. And you would invite some accountability into your life and you would help others grow spiritually and that someday when we stand before God, we would say, I did it all for you. I, I fell, I broke my face, I hurt, I was hurt, but I lived my life for your glory and honor. And I pray that today we would realize that spiritual growth is not an option for those in Jesus, but it's a command of Christ. Let's obey for the glory and honor of Jesus. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that this is a church that loved your word, that proclaims the truth of your gospel. God, I thank you for the privilege to grow spiritually. What a miracle it is that you would give us your church do you give us your word? Do you give us access to your throne of grace through your son, Jesus Christ, through the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost to grow? You didn't say to the disciples, well, good luck, I'm going back to the Father, but you said, I must go so that the helper may come. Holy Spirit, I praise you and I thank you that you reside within your people.
to help us to grow spiritually. God, I pray against anyone in this room who may be discouraged, who may say, man, I'm not growing. I'm stagnant in my faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show them, Lord, that they can repent and that they can walk in the delight of God and in obedience to the word. Pray for anybody in this room today, Lord, or within the sound of my voice that does not have a personal relationship with you. God, I pray that they would cast themselves onto your mercies and grace. Holy Spirit, show them their need to be saved. That you are merciful, kind, loving, gracious, just God. Lord, that today can be the day of their salvation. I pray, God, that they would repent of their sin and declare their need to be born again and commit to the local church and commit to spiritual growth. But Lord, we say to you today, we can't do this in our own power. We need you. So help us to grow spiritually until you come to get us or until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.